Grace, mercy, and peace are most certainly yours, dear brothers and sisters in Christ. From God, our Heavenly Father, through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Well, everyone seemed a little quiet at the children's message, so maybe I need to wake you up a little bit. Remember, we're doing stewardship, so it's round two. Fight. Okay. Let's see how this goes. Stewardship. Remember, uh, if you missed last week, so we're doing a two-week series on stewardship. And last week, what we did was we looked at the beginning of everything. We looked at Genesis and how God created mankind to be stewards, caretakers of his creation. And we emphasize that this role, this important role that God has given to all mankind has not ceased, has not been negated in any way because of sin, right? Sin came in and broke things and it makes stewardship more difficult, but it's not ceased. But instead, what God did was he said, I'm going to get my creation back. And so he sent his son to reclaim you and me, to get us back to himself, to set us right, and to put us back on track, to get us back into the design that he has for his creation. And so Christ has already done that work. He has won eternal life and salvation for you and for me. But we find ourselves here on this earth. And so what are we supposed to be doing? doing here? Well, we looked at the beginning. Let's look at the end, the end of the story, because that's what we're meant to focus on while we live our lives here in the middle, so to speak, right? God gives us the end of the story so that we can focus on that while we do our work here on earth. So let's flesh that out a little bit. When we talk about being saved, about salvation, how do we normally speak? We normally talk about dying and going to heaven, right? You've heard this, you've said this, I've said this, right? This is normally how we speak, and it's not wrong, but it's also not the whole picture. You see, the prophet Isaiah and the apostle John were both given glimpses of what they called the new heavens and the new earth. Now, those were our Old Testament and epistle readings this morning. Uh, and I encourage you to take those readings. Go, go home, read those again through this week. Mull over those passages. They are beautiful uh, visions of what's to come. We're not going to spend a whole lot of time on the details here this morning. But I wanted to draw out of that this point that the end of the story is a fully embodied continuation of God's good creation. We're not looking forward to some disembodied, floating in the clouds, doing nothing eternity. No, it's a new heavens and a new earth where there is work. There's a city and, and we'll build houses and plant vineyards. This is good. It's a continuation of God's wonderful, beautiful, joyful, good creation. You see, sin came in and and broke things, but it's not like God said, oops, my bad. Sorry, guys, that didn't work. Let's try something else. 
No, no, no. God's work is supremely good. It is very good, he says. It's mankind who broke faith with God, who got out of the design, who turned away from God's plan and messed everything up. You and me, you and I, we continue this trend even today. We focus our hearts on the things of this world rather than on our creator and his wonderful promises that he gives us. It's, it's, you can look at just something simple, our wallets and our bank accounts. We get so focused on these things. This is part of our stewardship uh, but it's only one aspect. We get so focused on, on our money, on our bank accounts, that we start to make all our decisions based on that. How can I maximize my money, maximize my bank account, so that I can accumulate things in this world? And it, even if you are maybe of the younger generation who has given up accumulating things in place of experiences... Well, folks, that's still the things of this world. We set our hearts on the things of this world as if there's nothing better to come, as if this world, this life is all there is. And if I were to miss out, oh, what a loss that would be if I don't make the absolute most of this world in this life. I like archery, okay? I can't say that I'm particularly good at it or that I've done a whole lot of it, but I was introduced to archery in middle school. There's just something about the feeling of putting an arrow on a bow and drawing it back, aiming at your target, letting that arrow fly, and see it hit the target. There's something about it. For hunters, I'm sure you can, you can relate. But regardless of my limited experience, I can tell you this with full assurance, that if you take that arrow and you aim down at the ground in front of you, you're not likely to hit that target over there. That's just how this works. And unfortunately, that's what we've done with the arrow of our hearts. God has given us this beautiful picture of the kingdom to come, this target. And we aim our heart, and instead we just go down to the ground in front of us. But to some extent, I can understand this. That is an incredible vision. The kingdom of God, the new heavens and the new earth where everything is perfect. How do you even comprehend perfection when we are mired in brokenness and sin. I can understand this, that we just get stuck aiming our heart at the world around us. So it almost seems hopeless, this situation we're in. But God doesn't leave you in a hopeless situation, friends. God came to you to give you hope in a future. The very Son of God, the eternal Son of God, came and took on your human flesh 
to stand with you. And he stood up to be your champion, to fight all of these forces that would draw you away from himself, that would drag you down and keep you focused on the things of this world. Jesus said in the Gospel of John, I, when I am lifted up, will draw all men, all people, to myself. And so through his death and his glorious resurrection, he was lifted up on the cross, he was lifted up from the grave, he was lifted up to the right hand of God. Through this saving work of Jesus, he draws your hearts to himself so that you would see that vision. You would have your heart aimed at heavenly treasures. And he has won the victory. He came and he defeated sin, death, and devil for you. He won not just the battle, but the war. Jesus won the war for you. And so your eternity, the end of your story is written. And he's told you what it is. We read part of it this morning. That end is not meaningless death and emptiness. It's eternal life in his kingdom. Life where you get to serve your Savior and your King, where you get to use all of the gifts and abilities and passions that he's given you. Friends, that means you have an eternity of joy and purpose and meaning ahead of you. That's where you and I are meant to aim our hearts. That's the vision we've been given to aim ourselves. We have the target. And so Jesus has already declared you, he has already made you a king, a, a member of that kingdom through your baptism. You have citizenship there. And he continues to draw you to there, to that target. The world draws your your eyes and your heart down to itself, and he continues to come to you through word and sacrament and says, no, I have something better. I have a more beautiful picture for you to aim at. And that's what we have here in the church. He draws you away from the fading treasures of this world to the enduring treasures of eternal life and significance. I started playing basketball in the fifth grade. And it was a, a great, we'll call it a hobby. I love basketball. I don't do it a whole lot right now, but eh, it is what it is. But in that experience, the first few years as I learned to love basketball, I could talk about a lot of benefits that I gained. I could talk about the benefits of the exercise and the good that that did for my body. I could talk about the friendships that I developed and the good things that that did for me. I could talk about the discipline that I learned. But all of that would come under, would take second chair to this one principle that I learned, this principle that I had instilled in me. You play how you practice. If you're not familiar with this phrase, what that means is that if you cut corners in a practice, you're going to cut corners in a game. 
Because when you're practicing, there's nothing really on the line, usually. You're not playing a game. You're not looking for that W, that win. Just getting ready. And so maybe you think it's just fun. It's just fun in games. But if you don't step up and challenge yourself in practice, when you get into the game, when the challenge confronts you, you will crumble. Because you haven't been formed, you haven't taught yourself, you haven't become able to get up to that challenge, to meet that challenge. And so basketball, as with any sport, can be very demanding. Uh, It requires a lot of you mentally and physically, especially for a chubby kid with asthma. Yeah. But I had this principle instilled into me. And so that it became more than just what I did, it became who I was. Which means that it went beyond the basketball court into the rest of life. Which is to say that it was a matter of character. It was a matter of character. It's the heart. Friends, this is what stewardship is. This is what the life of stewardship is. Jesus says in our gospel reading, sell your possessions and give to the needy. Whoa, okay. Now, so often we hear imperatives like these, these commands, and we think, oh, Jesus is telling me something to do to get right with God. No. No, this is not something that you do to earn God's favor. It's a matter of doing what's right to build character. That character is a life of faith. Faith, a heart that trusts the promises of God. You see, right before that was this verse, Jesus said, Fear not, little flock, for it is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He's already given you what you need. You don't have to cling to the things of this world. So that's what Jesus is teaching us in our text this morning. That even though we cling to the things of this world because we're fearful of not having them, we're fearful of missing out. We think that somehow we should have all these things. But Jesus says, you have what you need. You have the kingdom. So you can freely sell things and give away. Because your trust, your hope, is not in those things. Your trust, your hope, is in Jesus. He says, find heavenly treasure. That, friends, that treasure is Jesus himself. As I told the kids, he has given himself to you. And so, yes, this world is important, right? The point here is not that we abandon the world. It's still God's world. You're still a steward. You're called to take care of it. There are people next to you. There are people around you here and at home in your workplaces. They need you. You're still called to do that. We don't give up on the world. But what Jesus is saying is that you've been freed to serve out of his abundance, 
rather than living in fear and trying to survive simply out of your own limitations. Let me emphasize that. Jesus has freed you to serve out of his abundance, because everything comes from God, rather than relying on your own limitations. So now we move into the practical part, and I have to talk about this pledge drive thing that we have, and I can already see the moans, see the groans, see the arms crossed. Oh, we got to talk about money. Okay. I said last week, stewardship is a lot more than money. Yes, but it also includes money. And so hopefully you've all received your letter and your pledge card, and I ask that you prayerfully consider what you can give, what uh, would be a faithful response. We don't like to talk about money, but here's the simple fact, folks. Money is a gift from God. And that means that it is meant to be part of your life of stewardship. It's meant to be used as a steward. And that means that how you use finances are not meant to drive you to yourself or to the money itself, but it's supposed to drive you towards God in faith and to your neighbor in love. Question arises, who do you trust to provide what you need? The triune God who made heaven and earth or your money? You know the answer. I know you know the answer. We don't have to belabor the point. And so these pledge drives are simply opportunities for you to practice, to exercise your faith in your God, in your Savior Jesus. It also happens to be a simple fact that the church, in its temporal form with our, our buildings and, and you know, screens and staff and all this sort of thing, it needs money to operate. This is just a simple fact. Staff must be paid. Electricity bills must, all bills must be paid. The, the building must be maintained. Thank you, Rick, for doing a lot of that. And so from this perspective, this pledge drive is simply a practical way of the congregation figuring out its budget for the next year. It's an expression of a broader biblical wisdom that we are meant to exercise as stewards of this creation, right? So let's not over-spiritualize it. It's a practical effort. But let's not under-spiritualize it either. Because this is no mere pragmatic effort that we do. We do it every year. Yes, for the practical aspect, but also there's a real reality that character matters. You play how you practice. You are called to put your faith into action, to cling to the promises of God that he provides all that you need in this life and with eternity to come. To exercise aiming your heart at the heavenly treasures of Jesus, 
his word and sacraments rather than just the things of this world. One more point. This is not a one-size-fits-all application, right? I can't tell you exactly what you should be doing. You have to exercise some of this wisdom, knowing yourself, uh, knowing biblical wisdom. Uh, some of you can easily give money, and some of you can't. But some of you can easily give time and effort to help make things run in the church, and some of you can't. Some of you might need to warm up to this whole stewardship thing and realize that we're doing a pledge for the church, but maybe it's helpful to take stock of all your gifts and look at what it means to be a steward in the other areas of your life too. There's a lot that goes into this. So it demands prayer and it demands wisdom. But the point in all of this is that you are practicing, that you are exercising your faith, exercise your heart, the faith muscle, so that everything you do is pointing you to that target, the heavenly treasure that is the gifts of God, most especially Christ, who is your treasure. So may God give all of us this wisdom that we need to know how we are to be faithful stewards in his name. Amen. Amen.